Hello friends and enemies and all of you who are still making up your minds, you're listening to Captivate Podcast, the best place for theological discussions about worship, Christian ministry and mission. You're with Mike and Andy and this is episode 4. Hello everyone, we're really, really excited to present to you uh, our interview with Dan Kent. Dan Kent is the author of the forthcoming book, Confident Humility, How to Become Your Full Self Without Becoming Full of Yourself, uh, which uh, Andy and I have both read and really enjoyed and would highly recommend uh, to all of you out there. Um, Dan's our first international guest. He lives in the US in Minnesota. Um, He's the general editor of Renew.org, which is a ministry of uh, Greg Boyd, uh, those of you who know him, and he hosts Greg's podcast as well. Yeah, really excited about this conversation. Uh, Dan is uh, a really nice guy, and it's he's very easy to talk to, and he's really, um, what's the word, P- personable. He's, he's yeah, re- yeah, yeah. He, he, he was a really great uh, guest to have as our, our first time kind of chatting over the internet uh, and, and right. figuring all of that out. But um, yeah, I think all, all of our listeners are really going to enjoy this one. Yeah, I reckon, I reckon. All right, so without any further ado, let's jump into our conversation with Dan Kent. That's right. Okay, well, yeah, let, let us start, I guess. Yeah. Dan Kent, welcome to Captivate Podcast. Thanks so much for your time and thanks for being on the show. You are the very first international guest on Captivate Podcast, which is, I'm very excited about this. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm very excited too. So you're in Australia. That's so cool. That's yeah. exciting. Yeah. People in America, talking to people in Australia is like an adventure. It's, I don't know what it is, but it's can you very understand, cool. Can you understand the accent okay? Can you Barely. Barely. Yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna. I'm the, I'm the Aussie one. Andy's accent is is Polish. That's so. right. I'm actually yeah. not Australian. I actually wasn't born here, so it's, it's. I'm just trusting the Holy Spirit. So. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Sounds good. Well, Dan, you you wrote a book um, called uh, "Confident Humility: um, Humility and How I Achieved It: The Life Story of Dan Kent." No, sorry. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. Confident humility: becoming your full self without becoming full of yourself. And it's a really mm. insightful book, and we, we want to chat more about this uh, on this podcast. But I just thought maybe you could introduce yourself a little bit to all the spiritual seekers in Australia. Tell us who you are and what you do. Really yeah. Yeah, you know, I, um, I'm a writer, and uh, I teach at Bethel University whenever they let me teach there. And I preach at Woodland Hills Church with uh, Greg Boyd. And well, I've preached there once, so I'm hoping to preach more. But uh, uh, and I, I preach at a, a ministry called the Refuge, which is part of Woodland Hills, and it's a Thursday night kind of deal with a really great population. It's uh, um, AA, which is Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. Um, we get like shelters. We'll bring busloads of homeless people in, and and we all share a meal together. And then there's like a little bit of a sermon, and there's music, and it's a very beautiful thing. So I preach there, and then I work in mental health. I um, uh, work with schizophrenic patients and delusional patients, uh, especially. And um, and I write like a madman. I'm I love writing, so that's kind of what I do. Um, what was the other part of the question? Did I get it all? Uh, yeah, no, you did. Uh, maybe tell us about your family a little bit. And- yeah. Well, uh, also just a caveat. I'm, 
I'm a little sick. So my vo- this isn't normally how my voice sounds. So um, maybe this is better than my voice sounds. I don't know. But it's usually different than this. So I don't know if that matters to anybody, but it matters to me. And I'm glad I said it. My family, um, it, it, mostly it's my mom and I is sort of the core, my core family. Uh, and I write a little bit about this in the book, but, uh, my mom and I kind of grew up together and, um, we, you know, she had me when she was 14. She just turned 14 when she had me and, uh, she raised me herself. And, and so I really kind of view her as my family and she had a couple husbands along the way. And, uh, and I have some step siblings and stuff like that, but just mom and I are, are pretty much my family. Uh, and I basically pursued God on my own starting when I was 15 or 16, uh, I went to a Baptist church, uh, an American Baptist church, and really was compelled by the good news. Uh, even though I had a lot of intellectual questions, the, there was something about the gospel and about the teachings of the Bible that satisfied these profound existential problems that I was contemplating even at that young age. And, uh, and so I pursued it and I, ended up kind of uh, being, I was a terrible high school student, but after high school, I, I stumbled upon C.S. Lewis and I just instantly fell in love with learning. And so I went to college and worked my butt off and just fell in love with learning. And um, now I work with Greg Boyd at renew.org and uh, yeah, and I'm all about seeking God and um, trying to f- discover the things that keep us from experiencing God's love in the profound sort of life-changing way that I think it ought to affect us. Well, can you tell us a little bit about um, how, how the book came about, um, you know, kind of what uh, instigated your desire in um, exploring humility? Yeah. Well, I, I originally wasn't really interested in humility at all. I, I, uh, I got this, this assignment in my life and teachings of Jesus class at Bethel university. And the, the professor, he like handed out these little scraps of paper and whatever word was written on your scrap of paper, that's what your paper was going to be on. And I got humility and I was just like, Oh, this sucks. I don't want to do humility. This is like boring. <laughs> and so, you know, and I asked you, Hey, you want to trade? And, and no, no one wants to trade for humility. So I was stuck writing this paper on humility. Uh, well, it just turned out that, um, in studying humility, I came upon Matthew 23 and it solved this profound problem that I was experiencing. And, you know, growing up with my mom, we kind of grew up together. Uh, but mom, you know, she was so young when she had me that she was at work a lot. And, and, and when she wasn't at work, she was trying to pursue some type of social life. And in, in many ways, I sort of kind of raised myself. And, and I, I, I was very ambitious in that. And I really wanted to figure out what's the right way to live and how do I, you know, I watch people and, and try and figure out what works and what doesn't. And, um, and in the process of that, I, I came to church at, through this youth group. And I just fell in love with the, the good news. I had, I had some serious intellectual issues with it, but something deep about it was right. And I clung to it and I pursued it. Uh, one of the problems that I had with the church was that I was at was that they had this very low view of human nature. Um, they, they thought that people were just despicable and, and spiritual growth in their belief system meant learning to see yourself smaller and smaller and smaller and more and more insignificant mm-hmm. and more and more of a sinner. Um, 
And so people like, in, I mean, they, they wouldn't like come up and yell at you and say, you're terrible or anything like that. There'd be a lousy church, but, uh, <laughs> this kind of idea would kind of squeak out, out sideways yeah. in little yeah. areas. Like when people would be praying, they'd be like, you know, Oh Lord, I am, I am a despicable sinner and hopelessly dependent on you. And, and people in the group would say, amen. And they would nod their heads. And, and I just couldn't say amen to that because, um, well, for dumb reasons, this is in junior high, but you know, they had like children's Bibles around and all of the pictures of Jesus in these children's Bibles, Jesus is happy. He's got rock star hair, beautiful teeth, and everybody around him is happy. They're all laughing. Not, none of them look like they're despicable sinners that they view themselves so miserably. Right. The kids are happy. Um, and, and all the crowds just rush to Jesus in these pictures. And it's like, there's no way the crowds would rush to somebody who was telling them that they're terrible. And, and I just felt like there's something wrong. There's something off about this. Um, and then at the same time, this is in the early 1990s. So in America, the self-esteem movement was really big here. And there's this idea that you, you have to think of yourself as highly as possible. And you have to think of yourself as fantastic and great. And, um, and whereas the church taught that humans are terrible, the self-esteem movement taught that humans are fantastic. You are wonderful. And the, the church taught that our, our primary enemy is, is pride. Uh, the self-esteem movement said that our primary enemy is shame. And so they were just exact opposites. And, and I felt like pulled, and there's really smart people in both of these camps. And so I really felt pulled in two different ways. And, um, and, I, and it's such a foundational belief because if you believe that people are fundamentally bad, that reorients how you view yourself and others. It totally changes how you view reality. Yeah. If you believe that people are fundamentally good, that totally changes how you view yourself and others and it reorients reality. And so it matters which one you choose. And they both seemed off. Um, they both, there's something seemed wrong about both of them. So then in this, this life and teachings of Jesus class, I get this paper on humility, which I don't want to do. I stumble upon Matthew 23 and my heart just sort of roars. And when I read this, it's just like, wow, it just suddenly this, this tension, this dilemma is resolved. And it's like this almost instant thing. And it's weird because when people think of the new Testament and humility, they usually don't think of Matthew 23. That's exactly um, what I was thinking. That's yeah. not the first passage that comes to mind. Right, right. But, you know, in this passage, it's right before the seven woes, starting in Matthew 23, verse 13. And this is where Jesus, like, opens a can of whoop-ass on the Pharisees, and he just unleashes <laughs> on these guys. But before that, he says the foundation of the Pharisees' problem, the foundation of these seven woes, is that they lacked humility. And so really, in these 12 verses, he really, in my mind, unpacks what humility is. And so I think it's the best passage to look at for Jesus's understanding of humility. And, um, and that's sort of what the book is about. And that's how I came upon it. So most people kind of understand the concept of humility, what I would call classical humility, I guess, mm -hmm. as the opposite of pride. But you kind of take a little bit of a, a different tact on that as you've kind of um, you know, talked about your Matthew 23 discovery. Um, yeah. Can you uh, briefly kind of unpack that a little bit. Um, but yeah. You know, what's really weird about that, Mike is a couple things is really strange about that. Um, it, like if you ask people, uh, do you believe that humans are fundamentally bad? Most people would say, no, I don't believe that. Even like Christians, um, it, we've sort of given up on that total depravity in that deep sort of way. Uh, that's sort of kind of come out of fashion, but 
those same people have a view of humility that comes from that same perspective. Um, the view of humility as being the opposite of pride emerges out of what I call the ditch of smallness, this idea that people are fundamentally bad and pride is the enemy. Uh, if you think about pride <clears throat> as the opposite of, or as humility as the opposite of pride, well, if pride is about being pro-self and being big and being like, you know, full of yourself, well, humility, and if humility is the opposite, that that means that humility has to be as small and anti-self as possible. And that's where you see a lot of these thinkers over the years who have embraced this idea of, of humility, they almost like trip over each other trying to portray the self smaller and smaller and smaller. And it gets sort of farcical where people are just yeah. like, you know, um, I am, I am maggot's breath and I am, you know, a boil <laughs> on the ass of a donkey and, you know, just stuff like that. And they're just like they're just trying to outdo each other yeah and um and so even though people have kind of given up on this terrible view of the self their view of humility still emerges from that framework and so it ends up kind of leading to this sort of this theology anyway um and so what i think is happening in matthew 23 is is matthew agrees with the or uh, jesus in matthew 23 agrees with the ditch of smallness that pride is bad and he he chastises the pharisees for thinking that they're better than others uh and in in matthew 23 verse 8 he tells his disciples look don't let anybody call you rabbi and it's not the title rabbi that jesus cares about because he uses it all over the place and teacher and stuff like that but he says don't let anybody exalt you into the place of rabbi don't don't be exalted over anyone but then in verse 10 he says also don't exalt anyone else above you and so jesus affirms the ditch of smallness saying that yeah pride is bad but yeah. the opposite of pride is also bad and if the opposite of pride is bad, then it can't be humility. Uh, it, it just makes no sense. Yeah. So, so what I think Jesus ends up teaching is that humility is the opposite of both pride and shame. Uh, and, and so, shame is the opposite of pride. Then instead of humility. yeah. Yep. Well, yeah, if you ask any psychologist, hey, what's the opposite of pride? They're not going to say humility. They're going to say shame. Psychologists know the human psyche and they know what, what pride is and they know that it's the opposite of shame. Jesus affirms that. Yeah, the, the opposite of pride isn't humility. It's shame. Humility is the opposite of both shame and pride. And so uh, whereas in the ditch of smallness, the more uh, humble you get, the less pride you have. Uh, Jesus' teaching says, look, the more humble you get, the less prideful and shameful you are. Right. Uh, the less likely you are to view yourself as a, being above others or below others. And so Jesus' teaching on, on humility, I think, um, uh, basically rethinks that whole model. And it's so liberating because if you study psychological literature and like dysfunctions, uh, you know, addiction, procrastination even, anxiety, addiction, uh, shame and arrogance are like dysfunction steroids. And they kind of amplify all of these woes that people have. And so if you have something that diminishes both of those, you go a long ways towards taking the power out of a lot of these disorders. Right. So um, tell me what you think about this. As I was reading your book, I kind of came up with this idea or this, this way of making sense of what you're saying. Um, that goes something like this. It's almost like uh, pride and shame or feeling, feeling pride and feeling shame. It's like, it's like a game that humans tend to play. And we either play for dif different, we either play for one team, team, um, I think team smallness, you call it, or digital yeah. smallness. And then yeah. this, or we're just involved in this game. Humility, the way Jesus teaches in Matthew 23, 
is basically saying stop stop playing the game don't play that's the game right. at all just uh, become humble uh, express right. humility in a sense of completely removing yeah. yourself from 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 this game is that is that fair i think that's that's a really good way of looking at it and it is sort of a game and the reason why it's sort of a game is because it's interesting because I, I mentioned Matthew 23 verses eight to 10 mm-hmm. and in verse uh, eight, you know, he says, don't let anybody exalt you over them. Don't let anybody call you rabbi. And then he says, also don't exalt other people above you. So don't be below them. So don't be above or below others. And then right in the middle of that, he says, for you are all brothers and sisters. You are all equal. Yes. And, and uh, this is sort of a long-winded way of answering your your question, but uh, the reason that that's profound is because what Jesus is saying is that the reason why you shouldn't be above others or below others is because the reality is you are all brothers and sisters. You are all equal. He doesn't say pretend like you are equal. He says you are equal, uh, which means that this idea that that we're not equal. That's a delusion. It's a false belief. Um, and it's a false belief that we're all born into. We all grow up in a world with this belief and it's, and it, our economies are based on it. Um, it's this belief that some people are better than others. And, and that's where shame and pride are the result of that. Shame is when you feel inferior to others. Pride is when you feel superior to them. And, and both shame and pride require a belief that some people actually are better than others. But Jesus says that that's a delusion. It's not real. Yeah. And so, and what happens with a delusion is you get fixated on certain things that are just really strange and they look strange uh, unless you understand the beliefs. And so, for instance, if you believe that some people are better than others, you're immediately going to ask, where do I stand? Where am I at in the hierarchy? Well, and then the next thing you're going to ask, the next thing you're going to ask, and we have to, this is just like no brainer of this is, you have to do this if you really believe that. The next thing you're going to ask is how do I move up? Uh, because there are consequences for being low and high on this hierarchy. And that's where the game, Andy, that you're talking about comes in is it's this yeah. game to try and move up in this hierarchy. But the whole hierarchy is based on a delusion, Jesus says. And he makes fun of the Pharisees for their the big dumb boxes they have on their head and the long tassels yeah. that they wear, the phylacteries. And, and he's like, look at how silly this looks. But they think that they're moving up in this hierarchy, but it's all a big dumb show. It's all a silly game and you don't have to do it. Mm. Yeah. So humility in, in that sense is, is a state of being that is the reality that Christ is calling us to. Rather than mm-hmm. an attribute, would you say? Because sometimes we might think of humility yes. as you display yep. humility in a certain action, but then sometimes you don't. And would you say right. that Jesus is teaching us that humility is actually a state of being, a bit like maybe mm-hmm. saying that God is love rather than saying God is sometimes loving? And, and that's right. I think that's right. That And that state of being is um, based on, and this is where humility is different than the ditches. So uh, it's not that. Humility is not like a balance between shame and pride. It's just, it's a different thing altogether. Uh, And the analogy that I really like is uh, by James Kellenberger. He says, if you imagine pacifism, you could think of pacifism as being the opposite of winning a war. But you could also think of pacifism as being the opposite of losing a war. But you wouldn't say that pacifism was a balance between winning a war and losing a war. It's just, it's opposed to the whole war thing itself. It's it's just a totally different thing. Against the concept, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think humility is the same way. Humility is just different than whatever it is that creates shame and pride. And and I think um, 
where the foundation of that is different than the foundation of both ditches. Um, the ditch of smallness puts human badness and sin at the center of how they view the self. Humans are fundamentally bad. The ditch of bigness starts on the opposite end. They say that humans are fundamentally good. Uh, and Jesus, I think, teaches that we're neither fundamentally good nor bad. What we are fundamentally is we're fundamentally loved by God unsurpassably. Yeah. And, and so it's just a different starting point. It's a different foundation. Goodness and badness is like a, a totally, this is why the Old Testament says things like, God says, I have placed before you fire and water, blessings and curses, life or death. Uh, choose life. You know, it, yeah. Goodness and badness, that's an opportunity that God places in our lap. We're neither fundamentally good or fundamentally bad. We're fundamentally loved. And, and we have the capacity to become good or bad, but fundamentally we're neither. Um, and, and, and that uh, ends up meaning that we're also fundamentally equal because if, if God loves me unsurpassably, that means that he can't love you, Andy, more than me because then his love for me would have been surpassable. Yep. And so the fact that God loves us with an unsurpassable love means that we are unsurpassably equal. And so this idea of shame and arrogance, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. It's a delusion. It, it doesn't fit. And so humility is living into that reality of being unsurpassably loved. How is that? That's, yeah, that, that's amazing. Yeah, that's really good. Really good. So uh, I'll, I'll give, you, give you a bit of an Australian culture uh, lesson uh, just yeah I think it's uh, I think it relates to what you're talking about here and maybe you might be able to speak into a bit of a, a solution <laughs> for us Aussies um, living in this um, so so how I, how I kind of think of uh, your two two ditches that you kind of um, explain so your ditch of smallness being um, that uh, you know we think lowly of ourselves um, what Australian culture um, has to kind of offer in that is what we, um, we we call backing the underdog. So we prefer that the person who's least likely to win in a situation is right. it, we're going to put all of our you know money you know uh, cheering and all of that kind of stuff yep. behind that yep. that team or that person or whatever to see them succeed. Um, mm. And the one that um, the one that uh, relates to your ditch of bigness is uh, what we would call tall poppy syndrome in which we want to cut those people down <laughs> yeah, um, funny. so that uh, they can, you know, come back down to, to earth to everyone else. That's just kind of how Aussie culture works. Um, but what I, what I don't think we do well is, um, you know, both of those things are happening at the same time, which is saying that we prefer everybody to be equal. Yeah. But I don't think we actually do equality that well with how we operate either. Um, so, yeah, so I guess, well, like, is, there, is there anything within that that you can kind of speak into in that yeah. framework to, you know, see what we should be emphasizing as, a, as, as an Australian culture? Yeah. Um, what, was the, what was the cutting down the poppy? Is that what it's called? So tall, tall poppy syndrome. Tall poppy syndrome. Okay, that's cool. Uh, yeah, what I would say about that is um, uh, I think that those intuitions and those impulses that we have to back the underdog uh, and also to uh, fight against the tall poppy syndrome is based on this, this impulse that we feel towards equality. But it's also based on, um, I think, a, a fundamental teaching of Jesus, which is that people who are arrogant need to be torn 
uh, torn down. And we see this, Jesus does this all over the place. He's always tearing down the Pharisees, but people who are loathing themselves need to be built up. And, and so that's where Jesus does both. He tears down the proud and he lifts up the, the humiliated. Um, and, and, and so I think both of those impulses come out of this, this teaching that Jesus has. The other thing is uh, part of the reason why people will back the underdog, I think, is because it's based on a problem of the ditch of bigness because the ditch of bigness, when you, when you tell people and the more people believe that they are good enough, just the way they are and that they're great, just the way they are, the less incentive there is to try. And the lessons, I mean, if I'm already good the way I'm in, why, why try so hard on trigonometry? You know, I'm already awesome. Yeah. You know, and, and so there's sort of like this lackadaisical laziness that's built into a high view of the self. Whereas an underdog, they're scrappy. They have to earn something. They have to fight. Um, and, and so, um, you know, the fact is, is that we, we don't have to earn God's love. We have that. That's, we have that security built in. And so I think both of those ideas are kind of come out of some of the forces that I talk about in this book. So, mm. uh, yeah. Good. Um, I had a quick question about confidence. How, how does confidence yeah. come into this? It's very easy yeah. to think about the ditch of smallness as a, a state of being where, well, you're not very confident because you are consistently wanting to see yourself as someone that's yeah. not worthy and, and right. not, not very confident. Um, mm. But you have a different take on it in your book. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, so uh, there's a lot to say there. Um, let's see, what should I say? I'll say, yeah, in the ditch of smallness, confidence is so pro-self that you want to avoid it. And that's where you get a lot of Christians who they'll sort of like, if they're smart, they'll pretend like they're dumb. And if they're beautiful, they'll say that they're ugly. And, and they'll just downplay everything yeah. because they don't, they don't like any esteem at all. They don't want any acclaim because that threatens their humility. Uh, and it's, and it's, it moves them up and they want to move down. Their view of humility. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and, and so the ditch of smallness has a real time, hard time with confidence, even all the way up to like pro sports, you know, in, in America, we have baseball here and you'll have a pitcher in baseball. He's the one who throws, I don't know if you watch baseball there, but they throw, the I pitcher throws the play, ball. I actually used to play baseball in Europe, which is weird. Oh, I you play baseball in Australia. But when I was a teenager growing up, I used to play American baseball in Europe. Really? Yeah. What did you, what position did you play? Uh, I don't even know. It was just, yeah, it was, it, oh, okay. it wasn't anything. Um, it wasn't organized. Yeah, it wasn't organized. Yeah. We would just, I guess, pretend as teenagers. Yeah. It wasn't for a club or anything like this. It was more yeah. of a, yeah. Yeah. We used to watch, yeah. used to watch American TV, I think in baseball and then try and replicate that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, that's neat. But you watch some of these professionals and or in any sport, really, they'll have just like a, a beautiful, brilliant performance. Yeah. You know, they'll pitch, they'll pitch a no hitter is like the best you can pitch in baseball. And, and then, you know, the TV crew will come up to them afterwards and say, wow, you know, how did you do that? That was wonderful. And, and they'll say things like, it wasn't me. It was all God. It was all God. It was all God. And, and that's, <laughs> That's the ditch of smallness trying to like keep people from getting any praise because, you know, they, they're trying to have that negative view of humility. Right. But the message that that sends is that if it's all God, then there's no point in trying. There's no point in exerting any effort and practicing. And, um, and, and it sounds, I mean, the guy's trying to be humble, but it's kind of very arrogant. I mean, why did God choose you to do this? Why are you so special that God just pitched a perfect game through you? Um, and so the ditch of smallness has a real hard time with confidence. Uh, the ditch of bigness also has a hard time with confidence because um, there is sort of like this uh, sense in which, you know, they're already great. They have confidence where they shouldn't have confidence. 
They haven't earned anything. They just feel great about themselves. And, um, and both of these perspectives, both ditches think that confidence has to do with the self as a whole. And, um, and that's just not the case when you look at the research about what confidence is. Confidence is really just about something external to yourself. It's about how good I can do this or how tall I am or how uh, strong I am or something that's like external to your, who you are deep inside. It's external to that part of you that God loves unsurpassably. It's just this thing that you do or this thing that you have. It's not you. And so confidence, it, it, to grow in confidence, um, you know, you need to get better at a skill. And, um, and so the the humility that Jesus teaches, I believe, is the only way to get there. Because if humility, the way Jesus teaches it, is against the delusion of inequality, uh, the delusion of inequality sabotages confidence. Because everything that I do in the delusion of inequality takes on a secondary purpose. If I'm learning to play the violin, it's not just because I love the violin and I want to learn to play the violin. I'm also trying to prove how great I am. And, and so, because I'm trying to move up this hierarchy. Yeah, so you're playing, you're playing the game of comparison. Yeah. That's right. And you're trying to, this is no longer just the violin, but it's, it's a, a step upwards. And, and that puts a lot of pressure on the performance because now, or if I, let's say I do a, a presentation on, on cactuses, uh, you know, this is, this is, uh, this is how, what, how cactuses live. And I'm giving a presentation. Um, all I really, all the people in the audience care about is what does this guy know about cactuses? But if I'm trying to move up in this hierarchy, man, now suddenly I need to be brilliant and I need to like, you know, just be an awesome presenter. And there's all this pressure and it's hard for me to just focus on cactuses. Um, and so only in humility can you get rid of that dumb game and you can just focus yep. on things for themselves. Uh, and it, it, it makes learning skills a lot easier. Um, I, I, the analogy I use in the book is uh, I twisted my ankle um, running and it sort of ruined my basketball game because my ankle was always really sore. And when I was playing basketball, I always had to look at my ankle and say, is it okay? Is it doing all right? Uh, and, and that took my attention away from the game, and my game got worse. Uh, the delusion of inequality is the exact same thing. If I'm always thinking about what does this say about me, what does this say about me, I'm never going to be able to just focus on the violin or whatever. And, and so humility sort of eliminates that whole part of, of uh, how we see things and how we interact with things. I think, it's, I think it's so important in ministry because I've seen so many different people Know, worship lead or, or preach or, or do something that's a a more visible ministry on the, on the platform and you know, on stage and yeah and having conversations with them i can see that they are so performance oriented rather than oh, yeah. i'm just you know i'm just there on stage because i want to bless someone and and just mm -hmm. uh you know or preach a message that's not going to be something that people will use as a point of reference for the assessment whether i'm brilliant or not right. but i just yeah. want to communicate a message yeah. and yeah, I think I, I, I struggle with that in, in early on and I probably still do. I think we all do in a way. We, we constantly, I think, need to find a way to leave that delusion, as you call it, of, of inequality and, and live in this reality of humility. So, yeah, um, it happens all the time, I think. Yeah, and I think just on that, just a, just a quick, quick practical, um, keen to hear your thoughts on, um, 
worship, worship, worship leading, which I do a lot of preaching, which Andy does most of, I do a little bit of, um, you know, and just generally kind of being on platform, whether that's, um, you know, in, in front of your church congregation or, or whatever, um, dealing with feedback afterwards, um, mm. you know, is oh, yeah. the big, uh, big thing that plays into this conversation as to mm-hmm. when someone comes up and says, Oh, you did a really great job worship leading or preaching. I really loved what you you know said about that and all that kind of stuff. And we have, you know, this, this false kind of sense of, uh, you know, like we, we could say, oh, I was all God, I was all God, like you said before, <laughs> or, um, you know, uh, mm. Like a lot, of, a lot of people kind of freeze and they just kind of go like, what, what do I say there? Do I say thank right. you? Like, is that taking the yeah. praise for myself and not giving it to God? Like, I, th- I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, do, doing stuff, um, you know, in, in ministry can kind of cripple us in a yeah. sense because yeah. we can't accept a compliment or we can't accept that with the, um, you know, with, with, I guess, the false sense, I think you would say, but I'll let you yeah. speak to it, um, of that being praise. Uh, for ourselves and taking that away from you know, our, our worship yeah. and why we're doing it as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I wonder if you can speak into that. Yeah, you know, um, <clears throat> I think uh, leading worship and preaching, they're both skills. Mm. And, you know, you get better at it. And if if you get better at it and people notice something and they say that was really good, that's Maybe it's because the Holy Spirit did something in them, uh, but maybe it's just because you've been putting in a lot of work to to make it good, and you're learning things, and you're changing your delivery and your approach, and um, and there's so many things that you guys do when you're on stage, and the hardest thing to do is to be natural <laughs> when you're on stage, you know, and which is weird, but you have to just kind of be natural. And, and there's a lot of tricks that you learn and there's a lot of things that you do. And, um, and you want, you've got like something in your head, whether it's a song or a sermon, you've got these ideas in your head and you're trying to get those into somebody else's head and the Holy spirit helps with that, but we don't know what the Holy spirit is doing there. Um, and, and I think in a church we should assume, yeah, the Holy spirit is working, but, at the same time, man, preaching's a lot of work, and I, I don't, I have never led worship, praise God, but uh, <laughs> I have done sermons, and man, it's a lot of work. Uh, and and if someone says, man, that was really great, um, I think you can you can do a couple things. I think say thank you, well, you know, thank you a lot, and then what did you like about it? Um, and uh, a lot of times, and Andy, maybe you found this as well. A lot of times, what they liked about it are things that I didn't really think much of. You know, the, the things that I thought were the, the wowser points, man, it just goes right over people's heads. It no, it happens to me them. all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't that wild? It is, it's crazy. I, I'm thinking to myself, oh, I've got this great quote or this great way of, of conveying a message. That's going to be, and then no one even mentions it. They're like, oh, right. yeah, yeah, I yeah. enjoyed something else. And yeah, that happens yeah. to me all the time. So I, I always just say, hey, what did, what did you like about it? And then we have a conversation about that. And if it's, if it's something that I did and I say thank you, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things that we do on the stage that people don't know that we're doing. Like when I do a sermon, um, I always, when I write a sermon, I always look at a passage or a concept uh, from the Bible and I say, what is the Bible teaching? And then what's the world teaching that's the opposite of this because 99% of the time that's the case. What the Bible teaches, the world wants us to go in a different direction. And, and 
that's just like this template that I use. What does the Bible teach? How is it different than what the world teaches? Now, people don't see that template. They just see the result of that template. And But that's part of the skill. That's like a little thing I picked up along the way. And if people come up to me and say, wow, that was really great. Part of that was the Holy Spirit, but part of it was just because this is a really useful skill. Uh, did I create the skill? No, the skill was there before I was even born. I just discovered it and I implemented it. Mm. Does it make me better than somebody else? Well, of course not. It's just a dumb skill. It's just me up there telling people what I know about cactuses. It's not, yeah. it, but, but how I teach people about cactuses can still be meaningful to them. And, and it, I could be effective at it. Uh, you, and, you know, watch like, um, I don't know if you saw, you, if you watch basketball, but man, Damian Lillard hit this half court shot as the buzzer went. And it's just like, that's amazing that he can do that. And I'm impressed by that. Not, not that Damian Lillard's better than everybody, but He's one of the best at hitting half-court shots, and I'm impressed. And all of the hours that he put into that and all the work that he put into that, um, you know, he he should get some praise for that. And part of what the New Testament talks about building people up, uh, the the Apostle Paul tells uh, the Thessalonians to build people up, that that's got to be part of it. You know, you're working with your hands, work diligently, build people up. I mean, show me what you did and I'm going to build you up for it because that's, that's great. Um, and so I think um, now, you know, that doesn't mean puff people up, puff people up is very different. Puffing people up is this sort of ego thing and, and we want to avoid that. But um, so, yeah, that's what I think. I think we can take credit because it's a lot of work doing what we do and, um, and we always praise God and the whole point of worship and sermons is to get people closer to God. And if I have certain skills or tactics that, that cause me to do that effectively, um, that's, that's part of the joy of being in the body of Christ is I get to experience that usefulness and that purpose. And, uh, so yeah, we can say thank you for that and we don't have to make a big show out of it. Just say thank you, you know? Yeah. Big deal. Yeah. That's good. That's good. That's a very good way of, of putting it. Uh, I actually even take take joy, not 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 only from um, being useful and, and using the kingdom with my skills, but even just working on on my craft, whether it's preaching yeah. or worshiping. That that gives me joy because I know it's going to be used for for the good of the kingdom. So that's yeah, that's, that's exciting. But I had a quick question before you jump in with your question, Mike. Sorry, I sort of we kind of have a plan of who's going to ask what, but. <laughs> I'm I'm taking over completely. Sorry, yeah. but I just I, I've got this question, uh, and I think this is also something that you you talk about in your in your book. Uh, the question on on the relationship between um, excellence and perfection, mm -hmm. and how that relates to to working mm -hmm. on a, on a skill in ministry and yeah. Can you can you comment? Yeah. On that a little bit? Well, what 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 you find with uh, the delusion of inequality is certain things become, and this is true of all delusions, delusional people, they end up getting fixated on certain things. Like I had a guy who was uh, delusional. Oh, it was actually a lady. She was delusional. She thought that her organs were on fire. And so she became very fixated on drinking water. And we didn't know why, but she was just drinking water nonstop. And then finally we found out why because she thought her organs were on fire. Um, the delusion of inequality is no different. When you believe that some people are better than others, certain things become extremely important. How smart are you? I mean, you know, are you an idiot or are you a genius? Are you, you know, how, where are you in the hierarchy of smarts? Now, 200 years ago, how smart you were didn't really matter at all. The, the question was, how strong are you? 
That's mm-hmm. what was important 200 years ago, but things have changed. Uh, but the delusion is the same. <laughs> you get fixated yeah. on this means something. You're better than others because you're smarter than them. Um, and so what happens is we end up trying to secure ourselves from the outside in. We try to be smart. We try to be good looking. We try to be fit. We try to be, uh, uh, you know, funny, whatever it is, whatever thing we're fixated on that we think really matters to get people up or down. Uh, that's what we fixate on. And that's how we judge others. And that's how we judge ourselves. Um, and perfectionism is all about trying to become a perfect self from the outside in by, by being perfect on these attributes, by being the smartest person in the room, by being the best looking person or by being the wealthiest or whatever, the funniest, where we're just trying to like be perfect at all those things so that we can somehow secure ourselves in that effort. Um, Excellence is all about coming out of a place of security where you're just trying to perform perfectly. You're not trying to be perfect. You're trying to perform perfectly on a skill. And when you're humble and you're already secured in God's love, man, you can focus on playing the piano just for the sake of playing the piano. And you can, you can, I mean, you listen to Chopin. I mean, I feel bad for piano composers because there's still nobody better than Chopin. It's been 150 years, you know? And, but, you know, when you're secure, you can just focus on playing the piano and uh, you can do it excellently. You can play it perfectly without trying to like be a perfect self. You're not, it doesn't say anything about you. Whereas perfectionism is all about trying to be a perfect self by how we perform. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's delusional thinking through and through. And when you see people who are like, um, a lot of times in America, we, people are just obsessed with fitness. And I suspect that a lot of those people, uh, they're trying to be perfect from the outside in, uh, and that's perfectionism. Excellence is when you already feel secure and you're just trying to perform perfect just for the sake of the performance, not because it says anything about you. Mm, mm, that's, that's so good. Thanks yeah. for that. That's really yeah. good. Yeah. I was just thinking as I was as I was reading through. Um, there's a oh, bad with the reference in the Bible, but when when Jesus talks about um, the first will be last and the last will be first, I think he's talking to mm-hmm. um, some of his disciples who are getting a bit up, you know, a bit, bit too prideful mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, how how, do, how does this fit with with your understanding of um, your, your pride and shame and like your humility dynamic that you kind of go? Yeah. I think that fits. That's yeah. a good question. I've never, I've never been asked that before. Um, I would have to look at it closer. Uh, but I mean, just on the face of it, it sounds like it fits right in because he doesn't just say the last will be first because that's what the ditch of smallness would like to say. Yeah. He yeah. says the first will also be last. And, and it's like, there's, it, it's another way of saying that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're first or last. Yeah. It, it really doesn't matter. That's how I view that. I view yeah, it's right. because, you know, you look in Luke, you have the disciples are just so stuck in this delusion of inequality. Uh, Luke records them arguing about the same dumb thing twice. Uh, who is going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They were just fixated on who is better than who. And, and, they, and Luke records it twice. I just, it's just, they just can't get it through their head. And Jesus has to say, look, um, this whole idea that who's better than who is, it's based on this dumb worldly delusion. And he says that, you know, uh, who's, who's greater, the person at the table or the person who serves the person at the table? Uh, is it not the person at the table who's greater? 
And the worldly wisdom would say, yeah, that's the person who's greater. And Jesus says, and yet I come as one who serves. And so that whole model must be farcical. It must be a delusion because if, if it was true that the person at the table was greater, then Jesus would be at the head of the table. He wouldn't be serving. And so Jesus says the whole basis of this argument about who's greater in the kingdom is based on this silly notion that some people actually are better than others. Mm. And, um, and so that's how I would respond to that just off the cuff. So what, yeah. what, so what do you think uh, some people that promote this view of the digital smallness uh-huh. don't, don't come to this understanding, but they sort of they stuck in, in this mentality yeah. of, oh, well, if, if, if Jesus says that, that means that it's actually a good thing to want to be lowly. And right. you know, what, what do you yeah. think that happens? I think uh, the main reason why it happens is because people in the ditch of smallness take sin seriously, which is a good thing. Uh, because people in the ditch of bigness, they don't take sin seriously at all. If I'm great the way I am, then sin must not be that big of a deal. Right. Uh, but people in the ditch of smallness, they take sin very seriously. And there's, there's something really good about that. The problem, though, is that they end up exalting sin and putting sin at the center of their theology. Um, and that's sort of where Jesus belongs, not sin. Amen. Um, and so, yeah. And so I think um, when you when you put sin at the center of your theology, the good news is that Jesus has eliminated the sin. And I think math gets funny in people's minds because, well, it's even better news if the sin is greater. And it's the greatest possible good news if we are totally, totally depraved in our sin. And so there's like this weird math game there where, uh, you know, this idea of absolute utter depravity magnifies the beauty of God's grace because our sin makes us so terrible. And the more terrible we could view ourselves, the more liberating God's grace is. Um, But I think what the Apostle Paul does is he does a great job of just destroying that whole notion of sin and grace. Uh, At the end of uh, Romans 5, this smart aleck guy says, well, should I go on sinning so that grace may increase? And Paul's like, no, that's, that's, you have a very quantitative view of sin here. Uh, sin isn't this thing where you go up and down and, and I have a little more sin than this guy. I mean, uh, what salvation is and what God's work is and what God's grace is, it's this qualitative thing. It's not a higher or lower thing. It's just you are saved. You are, um, he says, he responds to the guy who says, uh, should I go on sinning so grace may increase? He says, you are one who is dead to your sin. Death is, is either or. It's, it's uh, uh, qualitative, not quantitative. And so this whole notion of uh, um, you know, being more sinful or, or less sinful or um, trying to magnify God's grace is based on this faulty, I think, premise of, of what all of those dynamics are about. But So good. So good. Yeah. But at the same time, though, sin is serious, and, and, and that's the good thing about the ditch of smallness is that they do take sin seriously. It's just that they end up exalting it, um, and you have to take sin seriously if you're ever going to grow out of it. But if you exalt it, you'll never grow out of it because it's just too overpowering. The ditch yeah. of bigness, they end up neglecting sin, and they, you know, I have a couple examples in the book about people who end up just thinking that people are fundamentally good and people who look like they're evil, they're, they're just misunderstood, and um, uh, that's not the case. People really can become evil. People can become really bad. They're just not bad fundamentally. It's yeah. some. It's a. It's a real opportunity that people have yeah, yeah. Uh, to destroy their life. I mean, even G- Judas, who walked with Jesus, ended up doing this horrible thing. And so, sin is very real. And and kudos for the ditch of smallness for taking it seriously. Um, it's just that they they exalt it and they shouldn't exalt it. 
yeah, so, so having having Jesus at the center of our theology, I think helps us to to see that you know that there's a real capacity, real potential to be good and to be evil. Yeah, and right. I think uh, I'm not sure if this is my thought, or maybe I'm stealing this from Braxy or someone. <laughs> but I think in your book, in your book, you say that we are not fundamentally good and not fundamentally bad, but we are fundamentally loved. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes say that we are fundamentally broken. There is a brokenness yeah. to be healed, and, uh, and and Jesus, you know, obviously does this for us by expressing this unsurpassable love for all of us um, yeah. yeah 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 that's anyway, good just a comment i think that's no i think that's good i think um uh, you know who knows what that brokenness really is and and it's hard to know what our role is and what god's role is in that we know that god is active um but we also know that he expects things from us and so um i think that's that's the beauty of the dance right there absolutely mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I just want to just got a, a number of different ways I'm trying to think of where to go now. Um, but, um, just, just this idea of, um, that, that we're not to be, not to be passive in our, in our following of, of Jesus is kind of what, what some of this I'm hearing, hearing you saying, um, I, um, I have a lot of a lot of grace for people that you you kind of um, in, encounter in your 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 ministries and that kind of thing, and um, they uh, you you ask them to do something, and their response to you is, uh, "Let me pray about it, and I'll get back to you." <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> what? Whereas, um, it's not not really um, not really how I've I've kind of been brought up in my understanding of of, of service to to the church, service to God, and. And things like that. There's a there's a song that I love, um, which is in the the Fireproof movie, which is a little while ago now. The um, While I'm Waiting by John Waller. Um, he's kind of like you know while while I'm waiting on God to respond um, to to my prayers, to my requests, to uh, to you know any anything that you know within our relationship with God that we're we're asking for or we're um, you know waiting on God for. Um, you know I will serve Him. I will worship Him. I will continue in my walk with him um yeah what, what what's kind of your uh your your take on you know uh on that kind of situation there well um sort of my the most what i'm most passionate about is proactivity i, I would say um it's interesting that that there are so many forces in the world that tries to tell us that we can't we can't. I mean, whatever it is that we're talking about, you can't do it. Um, and the ditch of smallness sort of builds its whole theology on this idea that you can't. You can't become righteous. You can't. Um, you can't be good. You you you're just depraved. And um, uh, and it's and even like you know, and that in in America, the conservative Christians tend to be in the ditch of smallness. Progressive Christians, they have a different form of can't. Um, you know, like one of the things that I had to be very careful about is to fight against this notion that, because anytime you suggest that a person can do something, you're going to have a progressive Christian who will say, oh, just pick yourself up by your bootstraps, huh? Uh, and it's sort of chastising this idea that all you got to do is just pick yourself up. And and it's just another way of saying that people can't pick themselves up. Um, and the Ditch of Smallness says that people can't pick themselves up because they're so depraved. And yet Jesus says, humble yourselves. And that's like this profound, loud kind of flag saying, 
this is what God expects of you. Uh, and humility is, is unique. It's like love. Somebody else can't do it for you. Uh, if somebody else does the humility for you, that's a different word. It's called humiliation. Uh, and, and that's not a good thing to be humiliated. Uh, so when Jesus says, humble yourselves, it's not something that we can outsource to God. It's something that, that God expects from us. Um, and, and I think that love is another one. If, if so, no one can force you to love them, you, that's something that you have to do. Uh, and so, but we live in a world that, uh, you know, there's so many voices that are telling us that we can't, you can't, you can't, you have to wait for God to do it for you. And, um, or, uh, you need the government to do it for you or whatever. And, um, and, and there really are oppressive systems that, that, that the governments reinforce, and there are governments that oppress certain people. And those governmental strongholds are serious threats to equality. They're serious threats to what God wants for people, and they need to be fought against. But uh, at the same time, the government's not going to humble you. Uh, not in the way that Jesus wants you to humble yourself. They could humiliate you, and the governments do do that. Uh, but Jesus calls us to humble ourselves, and and that's that's a profound thing. It, it kind of comes down to, um, and this is related to the ditch of smallness and their exaltation of sin. When the ditch of smallness, what's really great, what feels good, what sounds good in the ditch of smallness is this idea that we are so totally depraved that we can't do anything good on our own. And therefore, we must trust God totally. And, um, and trusting God, I mean, every Christian agrees that trusting God is the most important thing. Yeah. But hmm. what does it mean to trust God? Uh, I think people disagree on. And, and I think that what it means is you trust God for what God wants to be trusted for. Um, if so God wants to be. Yeah, if God wants to be trusted for our salvation, then we trust God for our salvation. If he wants to be trusted that he is who Jesus says he is, then we should trust God about that. But if we start trusting God for things that he's expecting us to do, well, that perverts the whole faith. And when we're trusting God that he will bring humility in our lives, when he tells us to humble ourselves, that's a perversion of, of trust. And, and unfortunately, I think that's what the ditch of smallness does a lot, is it is it outsources what God expects of us into God's hands. And I, I think that that's uh, fundamentally flawed and it's spiritually um, unfortunate, I'd say. Mm. Yeah. I, I sometimes use this phrase uh, when, when people say things to me like, Oh, let me, let me pray about this. I just say, <laughs> stop, stop praying, start obeying. There are certain things that God's calling you to do and, and you can, you can do it now, I guess, while you are waiting yeah. for some sort of clarification. But yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and it's not, and again, it's not just a matter of picking yourself up by your bootstraps. It's, it's mm -hmm. a matter of, um, in fact, what I preached tonight on was on repentance and, and Jesus's very first teaching is in Matthew, in Matthew four, it's, uh, repent for the kingdom of God is, come near. Uh, and that comes right after this prophecy that Jesus supposedly fulfills. And, and it's from Isaiah where he says, uh, behold, the people were walking around in darkness and there was a light on the hill and Jesus fulfills this. Mm. And so, you know, man, that light on the hill could be on the other side of a valley, on the other side of a forest, on the other side of a lake. I mean, it, it's not like you're going to just be able to, you know, do it. It's, but at least you're going to be oriented in the right way and you're going to be 
toiling in the right direction. And, and I think, you know, when Jesus says, humble yourselves, he doesn't, I don't think that he expects us to immediately do it. Uh, otherwise, Peter was an absolute failure because Peter failed over and over and over again until the very end. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, so I think it's, it's um, I, in my mind, how we trust God is to trust God for what God wants to be trusted for. But anything that God expects of us, we have to trust that God has given us that ability. Um, and so that's, that's how I view that. Mm, yeah, good stuff. Well, we are, I think, coming close to the end of our conversation. Then thanks. Thanks so much for your yeah. time again. Thanks for being with us. Um, you, you have another podcast as well. I've discovered that recently, Totally Composed. Oh, yeah, that's right. Is, is your podcast <laughs> about uh, writing, which I, I've listened to a few episodes and I, I, find, I actually find it really helpful. Oh, good. Uh, so yeah. um, in one of the episodes, I think you say something about uh, effective writing. Let me just, I've got a quote here. Let me just get it right. Um, you talk about three elements of good writing. You talk about readability, communication, and concision. Honestly, I think in this book you've achieved all three. Because I really all right, yes, yeah. you've done well for what it's worth. My opinion, <laughs> yeah, but I that think, matters. I think I think you've done really well in this book. I, I really enjoyed it, and uh, we'll definitely buy a few copies and, and, and give it to a few of my friends. Yeah, definitely. And leadership, yeah. On that uh, on that note, yeah, we'll uh, put your link to the Amazon, well, probably page. the Amazon Australia page this uh, this this time. Because um, yeah. they'll probably get it before uh, Curon Books. To be honest. Huh. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So yeah, we'll that, that, what was that other place? That uh, Curon. Curon Books. Yeah. So that's our local uh, local bookstore that's across Australia. Um, that's they, so funny because they had a different Dan Kent. Yeah. And he's, yeah. He seemed a lot more interesting than me, so I kind of yeah. liked him better. So. Yeah, I think the opposite. I, I read the, the bio and I was yeah. like, what is that? This book's going to be a snowfest. Um, yeah, but uh, we, will, we will put the uh, Amazon um, link up uh, for anyone to get their pre-orders in and, uh, and that kind of thing. And um, yeah, we'd strongly recommend you buy it. We really enjoyed uh, reading it. Um, yeah, and... Um, yeah, now I'm going to be challenged every time I think about uh, being humble uh, <laughs> because of your book. So thank you. Good stuff. Uh, cool. Dan. Thanks, Dan. Thank Just you. Before, before we let you go, uh, how can people connect with you? What's the best way to get in touch? You're on social media. Are you active on Yeah. Twitter? I am, you know, I, I do the social media for renew.org. So I'm on Twitter a lot. And so I love having Twitter conversations. I don't like Twitter debates so much, but just conversations are really fun. Um, and so it's at that Dan Kent. Uh, and you know, the, the trouble with social media is that for a lot of Christian leaders, it just becomes media. It's not very social. Yeah. And so I do try to be more social. And, um, and what that looks like for me is just some dumb jokes. And uh, I have some, some fake narratives that I, that I portray myself as a, as a uh, peanut M&M junkie. And so there'll yeah. be some strange narratives there. But uh, I love having conversations and I, I've developed some good relationships with people, just strangers on Twitter. So, um, yeah, as with uh, how you connected with us. That's originally. how we connected. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Right. Okay. Good. Well, thanks so much, Dan. Once yeah, again. thanks, Dan. And uh, we'll, we'll let you go. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Okay. Bye. See ya.